Hey everybody, welcome to this month's Metal Misconduct. As always, I'm Brian Slegel from Metal Blade Records, and we have with us Sean Rourke from NHL.com. Sean, are you there? I'm, I'm doing good, Brian. It's uh, it's always good to reconnect, and we're we're almost at the best time of the year, right? Playoffs are going to be starting soon in hockey, and a uh, bunch of stuff going on, and uh, metal shows are starting back up, so this is always a good time to uh, check in. Well, it's a bit of a stressful time if you're an L.A. Kings fan right now because you're not sure if they're going to get in or not. So uh, it depends. It's almost a good time of year as long as you know all the teams that you want to get in get in. So we'll see. <laughs> I don't think you have to worry too much about the Kings. They're starting to play well, and you know they got that art of a champion thing going on. So yeah, but see, it's, it's difficult for us here because then if the Kings get in, the last thing you want to have happen is the Kings and the Ducks in the first round. I don't want to see that. I want to see that in the second round. So if the Kings just barely get in, and the, you know, it's it's definitely a little stressy for us West Coasters out here. So you East Coast people, all the teams are in. Well, I guess the Bruins aren't in yet. So a little, little stressful for you no, up there. No, not yet. They better start figuring out how to win or the hamburger would better figure out how to lose. Well, something, something's going to happen. But it's definitely, as you meant, it's a crazy time of year. So uh, we are very, very excited and honored to have with us former NHLer, Stanley Cup champion, Ivy Leaguer, and the man who made the mustache famous, George Peros. George, how you doing? Not bad, Brian. How about you, man? I'm hanging in there. It's allergy season, so it's always a little fun for me, but uh, otherwise everything is good. <laughs> what a bummer. Yeah, I know. This is I, I I need to get out of I need to get out of Southern California and go freeze my freeze somewhere, I guess, to get out of the allergy season. But it's all good. Yeah, hey, you can come you can come here to New Jersey, man. Yeah, what is it, twenty eight degrees there? It's a little, well, it's raining, so it's got to be about 34. It's nice and chilly. Although I'm standing right in front of a golf course, and I, I think I'm watching a high school team play, so it's nice enough to play golf, I guess, if you're crazy. I don't know. I'll, 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 I'll deal with the allergies out here. So, <laughs> so George, how is it that you became, I guess the, the first question that everybody wants to ask, I'm sure this is the question you get asked all the time, how did the mustache come about and how did it become so famous? Uh, it's, it's a great story. I, I like to tell it actually, but surprisingly people don't ask too often. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe they figure that I get it asked all the time, but, um, <clears throat> I used to grow it out for fun, uh, in the playoffs in college. It was, uh, a really pathetic mustache, but I did it nonetheless. And it was kind of an homage to the, uh, the old like seventies and eighties NHLers that all had them. Um, and so I grew it out for fun, uh, and then one summer I was training with the Kings. I was drafted by the Kings and out in their development camps. And we were going to Vegas for uh, a weekend or something towards the later, uh, later part of the summer. And I grew it out for the Vegas trip and got back to the Kings facility. And we had a new coach at the time who I hadn't met yet, Mark Crawford. There was a big change up at the, at the Kings, like with the GM and, uh, and the coaching staff and everybody. So I come back to train uh, in Los Angeles with this mustache. I didn't shave it and I wasn't expecting to meet anybody. So here's Crawford flies me down the hall and says, Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the new coach, George. Nice to meet you. And, uh, that's one hell of a mustache. So I go, yeah, I'm thinking about keeping it for camp. So, so I tried to slide it in there being all funny. And, uh, and he goes, well, you better keep it for camp. So I kept it for camp and played two games that year, uh, and got hurt. And one of the games was against Colorado Avalanche in, in the Vegas game. So, uh, I got cut, I got put on waivers, uh, cause I only played those two games and Ritus Avonans had a great camp. 
I know there's a new coaching staff, new GM, new everybody, so they went with Ivan. And so I get shipped off to Colorado, and I shave my mustache because there's no way in hell I'm gonna I'm gonna show up to a new team uh, looking like a joker with a mustache. And uh, I show up, and the first guy I see in the locker room is Joe Sackett. He comes up to me and says, "What the hell? We were all excited to play with a guy with a mustache. Where the hell is it?" So, <laughs> I'm like, uh, well, Captain Joe wants uh, wants the stash back. I guess I better give it to him and hold down help from there. Once once the power of the mustache got going, was there a lot of, I know there were a lot of things like teams did with it and and the fans did, but were there other famous people with mustaches that reached out to you? I mean, there's a whole, I guess there's a whole mustache fraternity out there. Um, yeah, the bus, it kind of took on a life of its own. Uh, the fan base in Anaheim uh, was really great to me. And uh, they play along with it and, and have a hell of a time. And honestly, it's probably the Snoop Dogg moment uh, that really put things over the edge. We were selling uh, fake mustaches in the team store for charity. Uh, a guy named Brian Hill um, helped us out to get all these uh, mustaches in the store. And so they were selling them all year long. And uh, Snoop Dogg uh, and his kids were one for one of our playoff games that, that year for the cup run. And uh, it was kind of just pandemonium after that. And uh, you know, everyone kind of jumped on board. So there's legions of uh, Stash fans everywhere now. <laughs> well, I know it's become immortalized now because once you see it in a tattoo form, then it's really serious. And I was watching uh, Instagram over the weekend and uh, there's a bunch of stuff coming out of uh, uh, the whole music thing. And I saw... Luke Lawson had done a, a tattoo of the the, the Paro stash. Now is on tattoos. Now it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, there's different levels of uh, passion for the stash. But uh, yeah, Luke Lawson was another violent gentleman sent for the uh, music festival there. And one of the things on the slash sheet was a uh, uh, a George Paro mustache tattoo, kind of like a shadow of my face or whatever. So uh, pretty cool. And I think uh, we got a couple of them out there, a couple of takers on them. Sweet, immortalized, you like that. So, now, a lot of people don't realize, I think a lot of people that think tough guys that come into the NHL all came through the Canadian junior ranks, where you can fight and all that sort of stuff. But you actually came up through Princeton, Ivy League hockey. How is it that you got ended up getting to Princeton, and then from playing college hockey and coming to the NHL, how did you transfer into more of the tough guy role? Um, well, I, I definitely never uh, fought growing up, uh, growing up in the States. Uh, not in the Canadian junior system. Uh wasn't allowed, obviously, so uh, I, I was just a player. I uh, I didn't think I was going to be playing after high school, first and foremost, so uh, when Princeton came calling, they were like an hour from my home. Um, although it took a camp in Montreal for them to actually discover me, they uh, they told me to go to play year juniors and uh, come back the following year because their class was a little bit weaker that year. So uh, that's what I did. I went to, went to Chicago and North American Hockey League and and had a great year out there and got drafted by the Kings. So then I started to think, well, maybe I have uh, more future in hockey than I thought. So played my four years at Princeton, and, uh, you know, I like to run around a lot. I'm a big guy, and I like to uh, throw a lot of hits and be physical. Uh, certainly not fighting, but I figured if, uh, if I ever was going to play in the pro game, then I might as well learn to fight as soon as possible because uh, if I keep hitting the way I do, someone's going to come knocking on my door and want to fight. So what I would do is go out and develop me. Uh, camps in the summertime with the Kings and just kind of we have exhibition games against the Ducks and other teams and uh, I would just pick a fight with some guy there because I figured either they're young enough or they're not the 
biggest bruising fighter there is either, and they're kind of inexperienced as well. So I might as well cut my teeth in that playing field and, and figure it out. And uh, sure enough, you know, the quickest way to an NHL roster at that time was uh, to be a player, but also a fighter. And if you could add that tool to your belt, then uh, more power to you. So got me on the on the big club pretty quickly, and, and that's all downhill from there. You know, you mentioned how when you played in college that, you know, you ran around a lot and you were able to do that. The rules, obviously, are very different. And, and you can probably speak better than, than most people to it when, when people talk about how the game is changing with with the way that the, the college game is with full shields and, and no fighting and all that and the NHL game, which is a very separate game. Do you get a sense that you had more freedom to kind of play on the edge in, in college because you didn't have to... You didn't have to answer those bells. Oh, hundred percent. Uh, yeah, I, I still had an edge, but like I said, there's no outlet for fighting. So, you know, someone rubbed me the wrong way out there, or whatever, did something I didn't like. I would put a target on their back and kind of we called it ISO camming them and just wait for them to put themselves in a vulgar situation and blast the hell out of them. So, uh, you definitely uh, are more freewheeling to run around and, and make big hits and. That's kind of why I'm afraid that if they get fighting out of the game anymore, then you know, there's not going to be anybody to prevent that sort of thing. Well, yeah, that's, I think, a really great point and something that I, I go back to. And I'm, I mean, I would imagine that we would have a similar opinion, but I'm always curious to ask this. I really think that th- a lot of things change in the NHL once the instigator rule went away in, in a bad way because now you've got so many guys, a lot of star players get hurt more than they ever did before, and it, it's changed the game. I, I, mean, I somewhat understand what they're trying to do t- to some degree, but that seemed to be a, a real changing point for me, and I'm not sure in a good way. I would imagine you would have a similar thought process on that, yes? Uh, yeah, you know, like like I said, I think that, you know, you take it fighting out anymore than it already is, and you got guys running around unchecked, and I think the, the most dangerous hits come from these headhunters and guys like kind of like I was, like I used to be. Um, you know, there's there's always going to be a need for someone like a Milan Lucic or, you know, an Eric Nystrom or somebody like that to come carry the puck and fight and it's tough and, and I, I just don't see that leaving the game but if it, if it were to then uh, it'd be a sad thing for hockey and, and perhaps a dangerous thing for other players What do you uh, what do you think about the game? I mean just in general there's been so much talk lately about you know just how the game is developed and you know the the, the inability or the, the lack of scoring this year and some of the other changes that happened. I mean, obviously, this has been your first chance to kind of sit back and digest the game, you know, more on a broad level than on what just affects you. And, and I'm curious what your thoughts are about the game now. Uh, it's funny. I think that no other no other professional sport tries to tweak their game as much as the NHL. Every year, it's always something. And, um, and a lot of times, they make good strides, and I think the game is, is pretty good. Um you know, the lack of scoring, I don't know, they say that every year, but the, the product on the ice is as good as it's been. Uh, although I do think that it's starting to go the, the, the wrong way uh, as far as, uh, you know, more physical fourth lines and stuff. Now everyone has a, more of a speedy, younger fourth line and experience perhaps, and uh, I think that's going to be to the detriment of some teams and, um, and rosters. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, the game is right around where it needs to be. I think it's a good product. I think it's a fast, fast-paced game. I think scoring is fine. Goals um, are just so good, but you know, not much else you can do besides something cartoonish where you're 
altering the net or whatever. I think uh, actually our goalie coach in Montreal uh, <clears throat> uh, wanted to, or actually then I wanted to angle the posts in so it wasn't, wasn't around posts. It was kind of an angled post, so any post shots would go in the net and things like that are okay. But you start tweaking with the integrity of the game, you got problems. So I think that uh, they do like to tweak the game a lot, and they, they better watch it as uh, years go on because, uh, you know, at some point, there's a there's a tipping point, and it's going to go the wrong way. Well, yeah, I think we we had that same thing happen in the probably the I mean, it happened a couple of times, but you know, in the mid '90s, and then again when you had the kind of clutching and grabbing came in, and the NHL adjusted a lot of things, trying to get more offense to happen, and they do that every year. Like you mentioned, they tweak the game a lot, but the problem is the coaches are so smart. You try to tweak something to get more offense, it may work for a season or two, and then the coaches figure it out, and they're able to make it work for them in more of a defensive role, which all the coaches seem to want to do now. So then they've got constantly got to kind of stay one step ahead and I'm not sure that that's the way the NHL wants to go but I guess they have to kind of combat that to some degree I think that's kind of the fun part of it honestly because then uh, you know walls are meant to be broken right and if you can figure out a way to find that uh, advantage then, then you know more power to you so it's almost like a dance it's actually uh, I'm sure it's kind of fun for these coaches and uh, to try and figure out how best to beat the system and get gain that advantage. So I don't actually completely mind that part of it. But uh, like I said, you don't want to start messing with the integrity of the game. You uh, Obviously, coaches do change stuff all the time and try and figure it out. And you've played for a lot of good coaches in your career. Is, is there one guy that stands out, not not maybe as the best coach, but as the most intelligent or, or like the, the one that thought the most critically about the game and kind of surprise you all the time with the stuff that they did? Mm. Um, good question. You know, uh, I only had him for a little bit, but Joel Klingel is in Colorado. Uh, you know, I kind of like his style uh, and his demeanor and the way he carried, carried himself. Uh, like I said, I was only there for a month and a half and only played two games for them. But I liked, uh, I liked what he was doing the way he fought the game. Um, it's the whole, it's it's the whole mustache thing, thing you know? eh? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, well, with Joel, it's a whole mustache thing. You guys got to stick together. One of my favorite, one of my favorite moments uh, in the NHL was actually after practice in Colorado, and I was shaving in the mustache uh, next to Joel in the bathroom locker at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, different. Every coach has a different style. And, uh, we had Bruce Boudreau and Anaheim for a little bit. I did, and uh, had him in the minors, and he was. He was a super positive guy, so it was always nice to be around the rink because he was always going to be in a good mood. Um, but then, uh, you know, he had his shortcomings as, as do all coaches, and he had the opposite side of the spectrum where Randy Carlisle was rather grumpy, but uh, it was a, a good thinker of the game and, and uh, knew what he was doing, certainly. So every coach has a different style, and uh, there's uh, tons, of different, tons of different coaches who are good at some things and not others. And of course, you won the Stanley Cup with Randy Carlyle, so I guess that gives him a feather in the cap. That being said, you know that was an interesting time in, in when you guys won the Stanley Cup in Anaheim in two thousand six, two thousand seven. So that was the first time a West Coast team had ever, had ever, never, never won the cup. Did you feel? I mean, obviously, winning a cup is the the be all end all for any hockey player. But did you feel it was a little different, a little more special? Because yeah, we were the first California team, the first West Coast team to win it. Or did that not really even factor in? No, that was, uh, that was certainly a source of pride, I think. Um, I had just gotten to the team that year. Um, but, you know, there's a certain attitude there and a certain pride in, in being the first one. In fact, on our Stanley Cup ratings, it says Canada, or California's first cup. So, um, 
certainly uh, was uh, something that, that the guys took pride in. And, uh, you know, as good as California hockey's been uh, over the years, youth hockey-wise and, uh, and competitive in the Pacific Division, uh, I know for sure that we were excited to beat the Kings and the Sharks to the punch. Does, does it amaze you at all that the kind of the growth that's taken place there? I mean, you guys won it in 2007. Uh, the Kings have won it a couple of times. The Sharks have always been competitive, but it's deeper than that. Like when you when you look at the youth hockey programs that are there and then you look at like the AHL and the fact that they've moved to the whole division out there to play. I mean, California's kind of become one of the states of hockey in the United States. It's with the Minnesotas and the Massachusetts and, and, and states like that. Compared to when you were there, it's been less than ten years. Does you know when you look at it, you kind of shake your head sometimes and go, "How did this happen?" Uh, I think they are national contenders. I mean, they go to these tournaments all the time across the country and are coming back uh, victorious. They got good coaching out in California, and the skill level is incredible. In fact, when when I first got to Anaheim or in Los Angeles, even uh, I took one look at the youth hockey and said, "This is way better than what it was when I was growing up back in Jersey." So I knew they were ahead of the game back then. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know it's certainly still burgeoning, and there's still more talent coming out of the area. these areas. You got guys like Emerson Edom and Bill Bennett, and a whole class of uh, new guys. But when I grew up, or when I came up in the King system, we had uh, Noah Clark, who was the first uh, Southern California-born kid to play for the Kings, uh, and his whole crew of guys. There's like a whole handful of guys who played D1 college out of that area. So California hockey has been on the come up for a long time and, uh, and it continues to impress me with the talent level that they have out there. Yeah, it's really amazing. Man. I, I grew up out here and, you know, long time, long suffering hockey fan back in the days when nobody cared about it. And the, the two things that I really think changed it were obviously number one, Gretzky getting here, of course, is the, the first tipping point. But really the second tipping point was when the Ducks won the Stanley Cup in, in 06, 07. I think that kind of solidified the fact like, wow, you the people actually there are really into it. It got a lot of, you know, and so unfortunately in Southern California, we tend to be bandwagoners. So I think everybody kind of opened their eyes like, well, hockey's really cool now. People are winning. And ever <laughs> since then, you've seen the growth in youth hockey, like you mentioned. I mean, I, I've gotten to see the youth hockey games. I have friends who have kids that play in some of these leagues. I mean, they're going to, they're going to play, you know, top tier junior Canada um, teams, obviously going on to the mm-hmm. NHL now. It's, it's pretty, pretty amazing what has happened. And, you know, obviously I think you guys in, in Anaheim, winning that Stanley Cup had a huge impact on that. Yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, it's kind of the kind of the fruition of, uh, you know, Gretz, Gretz coming out there, like you said. I mean, uh, he was the first wave, and then to actually um, have the follow-through and, and bring the Cup out to California, I think, uh, solidified the whole movement for a lot of people and a lot of kids in the area. So uh, it's always inspiring to to have a championship city and, and be part of a championship team and, and live, or, live and be around that. So, uh, without a doubt, I think we inspire a lot of kids in the area. One of one of the cool things about winning a cup and for for the people, and I can't imagine there's many of them on this podcast that don't know a ton about hockey. But one of the cool things when you get to win the cup is you get to have the cup and you get to spend some time with it and share it with people. Uh, I'm curious, kind of, what your favorite memory from that time is for you. <clears throat> I was pretty selfish. I uh, I wanted to bring it to all the uh, important people and places in my, my hockey careers. I was kind of scrambling with it all day long. I only had the 24 hours, but I, I had to bring it, and I managed successfully to bring it with the help of a, my wife's uh, father's friend, Gary Buns. He, uh, he had a plane. He was a Canadian guy, but he was uh, more than excited to help help me shuttle the cup around. So 
Uh, I brought it from my high school in North Jersey, Bell Barton School. Uh, shared it with family and friends there, then drove it down to Princeton. Did a big thing there with uh, youth hockey and uh, former friends and alumni and uh, coaches and stuff. Uh, and then I flew it from uh, Princeton to Washington, Pennsylvania, where I was born and have a whole bunch of family down uh, the Scenery Hill area in the farm. So we did a big uh, pig roast and bonfire. So that was, uh, that was the, the nightcap on the evening. So it was pretty incredible day. Squeezed a lot into it, but uh, I, I checked everything off the list I wanted to. That's awesome. So now you, uh, you've just moved to another interesting West Coast area that is on the cusp of having some, uh, some potential NHL hockey. Uh, what precipitated your move and, and what's going on with all that? Yeah, we just, uh, it was kind of a transition phase for me and my family. We, um, we've been renting, uh, our house out in California for the last couple of years since I was on the move out of Anaheim. So, uh, my kids are still young and we are still on the move. So we figured until I figure out what I'm going to be doing in the future, we'll, uh, come to Vegas and live over for a bit and, uh, kind of see what's shaking out here. Um, cost of living is a lot cheaper and, uh, I can spread out a little bit more with the kids. So I figured we'd give it a try for a little while until, until we, uh, settle down somewhere. Now, do you think that, I mean, you're, you're out there, so you've kind of got the pulse of what's going on. Obviously, the NHL is talking about having a team in Vegas. It looks like they're super close to getting the 10,000 season tickets they need. It almost seems like a done deal. Do you feel being out there that it's actually going to really happen? I do. I think, uh, I think people are excited. I think, uh, I think there's an energy here, and I think there's a, a big local population that would support the team. I think that's the ownership group's biggest fear and Gary Bettman's biggest fear is that it's going to be an empty rank because the local population isn't going to come. But uh, I get the feeling that uh, it can uh, be successful out here. I think there's enough people that want to support a Vegas team. And uh, the funny thing is, I was at the gym uh, yesterday and uh, ran into a guy wearing uh, one of my violent gentleman t-shirts, a duck shirt. Uh, and so I went up to him like, hey, great shirt. And uh, I go, are you a fan? And he's like, uh, no, no, I'm, I go away from Vegas. He's like, yeah, well, how'd you get the shirt? This guy went to drive to Anaheim to catch a game, then drove to the uh, Staples Center to watch another game uh, because he wanted to become a hockey fan but wasn't really sure how to go about doing it and wasn't sure 100% if he liked it or not. So he, he figured, he said, uh, I, think I, I think I'm going to like it, but I wanted to get my feet wet a little bit. So he's like trying hard to become a hockey fan, and I think he's won over the whole trip there. But I've just I've never heard of anybody like uh, just putting in their mind that okay, I'm going to become a hockey fan. I'm going to you know go and put the time and energy into like trying to become one. And, and he kind of did it all with a purpose and a goal, and that was to support the, the, the Vegas team because he wanted to he wanted to support the team. So it's kind of funny. That's that's definitely an all-in guy. I mean, there's no there's no yeah. halfway point there. No, absolutely. So he's uh, he's all he's all jacked up about the team here, and uh, yeah, obviously that's a certain kind of dedication. But uh, there is some excitement out here, and I think that uh, I think the team can survive. So you mentioned you're, you're thinking about you know trying to figure out what you're going to do next. Do you, do you have any ideas what you want to do? Uh, I want to stay in the game of hockey. Um, I'm trying to figure out where best to do that. Um, it was kind of tough with me calling the quits in the middle of the season. A lot of teams, uh, have their staffs all locked up and not a whole lot of room, um, in the, uh, front offices and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I want to be in the game and, and I'm trying to navigate those waters now. So we'll see. 
Well, now everybody that listens to this podcast obviously knows that we do two things here. We talk, we talk sports, and then we talk metal. And generally, we've got guys on that are big-time heavy metal fans. Now, George is not really a big-time heavy metal fan. However, he is involved with an amazing clothing company that he mentioned a couple of times before called Violent Gentlemen. And that company, as well as being an amazing hockey and sports company, also has some ties with some really phenomenal heavy metal artists. I'm on a Marth, Every Time I Die, The Ghost Inside, etc., etc. So how? tell us about Violent Gentlemen, how that came to be, how you got involved, and kind of the whole... Reader's Digest version. Yeah, <laughs> the Cliff Notes version. Yeah. Um, they, uh, you know, Violent Gentlemen's really kind of opened my eyes to the whole hardcore scene. Um, and I've, I've gotten that through my two partners, uh, Brian Talbert and Mike Hammer. And uh, we came to be because uh, Mike Hammer used to work at Quicksilver and would bring stuff to the guy down in the locker room every once in a while in Anaheim. And uh, he came up to me one day and said, hey, I'd like to start something, some hockey-centric clothing line. I think there's a need for it. What do you say we partner up? So uh, he goes, I have a buddy that can do all the design and I can do all the sourcing. You can do the promotion. So between the three of us, we had everything we needed and we just kind of got started from the ground up and have really grown into a great company, Uh, something we're really proud of and we're trying to expand now. But uh, like I said, uh, these guys kind of, uh, I do the hockey side of things and they definitely do the music side of things and uh, even Brian gets us into the uh, MMA world and things like that. We have a, a really broad reach between the three of us and uh, it's been really cool to get to know uh, some of these guys every time I die and Andy Williams we have a ton of fun every time we get together and do video shoots and uh, you know Jordan Buckley and, and the Buckley brothers and uh, you know we, we have a blast with those guys and, and uh, we're always looking to do collaborations we just did one with Ranted um, so we uh we really like that part of the, that aspect of our company, and that's something that's been fun for me because it's kind of opened my eyes to that whole scene. And it must be it must be amazing when you kind of see the reach that that it has because you know you talk about kind of making this company up, and and obviously the first demographic would be the the hockey playing community. I mean, it, it seems like that's what it's tailored to. And then you mentioned how the ripples have gone out into the hardcore music scene, into MMA, into a, a lot of the other areas that it's gone into. The, the fact that it's been able to dis- disperse itself so much, it, it, was it a bit of a surprise? Um, <clears throat> it was for me. I don't know if it was for my partners, but, uh, you know, uh, like I said, I didn't really know uh, anything about those worlds and nor they're reaching them. They know everybody. So, uh, people, we just started getting a lot of support from all sorts of different groups of people. And, uh, that's been a lot of fun. Even in the tattoo world, with, um, we're, we're really good friends with Luke Westman and, um, all the people that he's, uh, tied with too. So it's, uh, it's been a surprise for me and a pleasant one. It's been, uh, just a really fun company to be a part of and to help, help steer the ship on and, uh, like I said, we're going to try and expand our reach and get in some different markets and do some different things. But uh, we always uh, we always have our community in, in Orange County first and foremost, and uh, it's kind of where we got our start. And we're really proud of what we created so far. Yeah, it's really amazing to see you know how that thing is kind of blown up. You just see the the stuff everywhere, and now, like you mentioned, you're you know obviously it started as a hockey centric thing, and then you've gotten into the whole hardcore, the metal world, and everybody that I turn that stuff onto completely freaks out and starts going, "Oh, let me get more stuff," and you know now the tattoo world, and I mean those guys, you guys are all really well connected and doing such a good job with this thing. It's it's a lot of fun for you know a, a fan from the outside to to kind of watch that whole thing grow and and blow up. 
I guess it's something, I mean, clearly you want to stay in, in the hockey world, but do you want to kind of, obviously you're going to grow the company even more, but is there some more stuff you want to do in, in that sort of world with like the whole marketing and clothing, all that stuff? Yeah, totally. We uh, we have our, our minds and eyes open to anything, any possibility, really. It's, uh, it's funny, we we do some video production and little vignettes and comedy pieces and stuff like that, and we've been approached to like do start doing more video production for different companies and brands and uh, NHL sponsors even. So um, we're definitely looking to expand in all sorts of different areas, and, and it, it is funny. Uh, it, it's a real trip to see like when worlds collide. You now you can give them social media these days. You can see when, like, someone who's a fan of the Monty Mars all of a sudden, and, uh, and a hockey fan, you're like, "Oh my God, their mind's blown!" When like we're talking to each other and, and, and have a collaboration together and things like that, it's uh, it's really cool witness that that sort of thing take place. I think the next thing you need to do is reality TV, man. Bring all these people together and violent uh, gentlemen's reality TV. I kind of see that as almost being like a fantasy factory, like a. Uh, Rob Derrick is, uh, seems to be, to me, a, a super creative dude and has a telephone in his warehouse. And I kind of see, you know, we, we're super creative people and have a, have a warehouse like that fine. So I'd maybe go down to that vein if there was one. But, um, we might be not too far away because, uh, my wife has been shooting this, uh, reality show in Canada, um, Hockey Wives. And, uh, some of the producers were really impressed with what the Bell and Gentlemen have going on down in Orange County and, uh, there was some uh, a little white chatter as to, uh, as to what our, our interest level might be for for something like this. So I know I know Brian's really geeked up about it. So we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I know that uh, I know that your wife is doing a, a reality show up in Canada called Hockey Wives. Now I'm sure that this is not the case, but just just to reassure me and all of us in the U.S., this is definitely not the real Housewives of Atlanta sort of thing, right? <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, <laughs> When we signed on to do it, it was supposed to be a little docu series, like four or five episodes long. And they they auctioned the rights to somebody else, and they wanted to blow it up and do a whole long series with it. And so that's kind of how it's grown to what it is. But at the same time, uh, they're partners with the NHL on this one, and they don't want to see anything, uh, any negative uh, behavior and, and uh, information stuff like that uh, get out. It's uh, kind of protected by them, so I think they're they're working in man. I think with the NHL, so it's not going to be salacious and uh, a lot of acting and and people going crazy and, and just making a mockery of things. It's not not that type of show. It's still meant to be kind of a documentary type of show and just kind of a day in the life. Uh, of some of these hockey guys who give someone uh, give people a look in uh, in our world and what goes on in the hockey players' lives. See, that's why I like Canada. They don't do salacious, crazy stuff. Their reality shows yeah. are real reality shows, not, the, not this other nonsense. Now, your wife also ha- is involved in the clothing fashion industry as well, right? Yeah, my wife has a clothing line. Uh, it's called Plain Threads. Uh, she's been a designer for as long as I've known her for 10 years. So she makes some great stuff. She's always made stuff for uh, my teammates and stuff to travel on the planes with and stuff like that. But she makes a lot of women's bamboo knit dresses, this, that, and the other. And has a uh, really good sense of style. So uh, we decided to revamp her her, uh, her business and do an online store. So uh, pretty much uh, the tagline is, if my, wife, uh, if my wife's not wearing it, it's not in your store. Because uh, uh, she, uh, she likes to have a certain sense of style and likes to make people follow her style actually and I think it's a good thing for women kind everywhere so 
she makes some some of the dresses herself, and then she's also buying other lines that she likes and, and has them for sale. So it's a really cool website. Uh, in fact, even uh, Brian at Vinyl Gentleman helped help with some of the website design. And uh, we're hoping it takes off. It's, uh, it's really good stuff. And everyone with a significant other should go check it out. I would assume that part of the reason you guys wanted to do the, the reality show is, and having covered hockey for so long, like a lot of times the, the wives are the ones that are kind of that anchor during the season that keeps everything normal and, and, and keeps everything running smoothly. I mean, it's amazing when, when you go in depth with some of these guys and they talk about their family life and, and, and what happens. It, it's such an unknown part. Like you're famous for what you do but you couldn't do what you do without what your wife does at home. It is part of it that you kind of get to showcase how strong these women are and, and, and how, how much they're able to do things independently without the, the people that are, are famous around them. Yeah, I think that's uh, part of the idea. I think that all the girls have agreed to do a show for one reason or another, but the overall feeling is that, you know, these girls have a lot going on themselves and they deal with a lot of different stuff that maybe other girls don't. And, uh, and they certainly are, uh, our backbones and, uh, keep everything in line when, when our lives are so hectic. So, uh, I think it's a great way to showcase what they do and uh, how much they mean to our careers and, and our families. Do we get to see that at all in the U.S. or is it only available in Canada? You know what? I think, uh, I think there were some talks to, to sell it here in the U.S. Um, but I haven't heard anything uh, for sure yet. I know they they sold all the international rights, so you can you can uh, watch it like uh, all over the globe. I guess like all these other random countries, like they sold the rights for it. The only place you can't see, it, I think, is in the states at the moment. Yeah. So I, I don't say, know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I, I <laughs> imagine that at some point they might they might pick it up. So we'll see. And maybe at least online. Well, a good thing to say because this thing goes all over the world, so that's good. So everybody outside the U.S. can go check out check out hockey. Wise, yeah. it's pretty good. I'm now, pretty sure it's like playing in Pakistan. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Everywhere, Saudi Arabia and stuff. Yeah. So now, a couple of years ago, the Sporting News named you the fourth smartest. I can't even talk. The fourth smartest athlete in sports. Now, is that something that you said? Hey, that's awesome that they said that, or? Did you get a lot of problems on the ice with people kind of giving you a hard time about that? <laughs> no one gives me a hard time on the ice. They're smart. It's pretty cool. I mean, I, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's smarter folk than than the, the three ahead of me there. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a big honor for sure, and something that's kind of cool, and I can hang my hat on. But at the same time, I know there's plenty of other smart guys out there as well. And, uh, no, I didn't catch too much heat for it, really. Uh, like I said, they, uh, um, no one gave me too hard a time out there. <laughs> so nobody was like giving you algebra problems or anything. What's that? Nobody's giving you algebra problems or or anything to solve on the ice. Oh like. gosh, <laughs> so that's a funny thing. Like I've had a good education, but I couldn't do an algebra problem. <laughs> don't let the don't let the Princeton people hear you say that. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't plan on being an algebra teacher anytime soon. So, uh, <laughs> although if I was smart, I'd get back into statistics and uh, go about the statistics. That seems to be the hot thing these days in the NHL. So, you never know. You know, and that's interesting. What, what do you think about the whole quote-unquote analytic revolution that's going on in the sport in, in the last couple of years, where it's gone from completely an eye test type of thing 
to where teams are making decisions based on repetitive the, the nature of repetitive occurrences. And that's kind of your background a little bit. Yeah, I uh, I was an economics major. I certainly did uh, my fair share of regression and things like that. I was to sixth class. Um, I, I'm still kind of old school, though. Uh, you know, you don't you don't pick a player based on numbers alone. I think it, uh, it certainly helps to support some theories or attitudes about a guy. But um, uh, I would, if if I was running the ship somewhere, I would still be uh, making my judgments based on uh, what I saw and felt about a guy. Then and uh, Corsi stat or something like that. I think the analytics, while it's an interesting backstory, if you start getting too much into it, it almost becomes like Moneyball in baseball where you're you're just doing everything by the book and you're eliminating talent. I think especially in hockey, well, I do look at the analytics and they are interesting and they certainly do paint an interesting picture. I think that the amount of talent and creativity you can't really measure in analytics. Yeah, you know, I... I think you're measuring two different things with, with baseball and hockey, right? Like baseball, you know, you're not kind of in one-on-one combat with a guy. There's, there's no measure for, for uh will or heart or anything like that. You know, and in hockey, you, you're battling, you're, you're in guys' faces all the time. Um, there's certain unmeasurables and, and, you know, baseball is certainly a great statistics driven sport, but uh, I don't see it in hockey so much. So, Certainly, there's some stats that will help you in hockey, but I think, like I said, you can't really judge a guy's character on the uh, stat sheet. Absolutely. Well, we could sit here all day and talk and stuff, but unfortunately, we can't. So we want to thank you, number one, for coming on and doing this. We uh, are very, very honored to have you here. And we have a lot of... a, a lot of things to to promote here for you. So let me see if I can get this all right here because this might take like <laughs> 10 minutes. Man. you got a lot of stuff going on. So first of all, uh, everybody's going to go check out Violent Gentleman. Go to violentgentleman.com, the best hockey wear. In fact, one of the best clothing companies in the world, if you ask me. Great guys, great product. Anybody that's into metal or hockey or anything should check that out. So violentgentleman.com is the website. They're on Instagram, Violent Gentleman. They're on Twitter, at Violent Gents. They're all over the place. So there, we'll, we'll get that out of the way number one so take number it away from us pardon take it away from us that's right you guys are everywhere uh you've also got uh i don't know if it, is there a, is there a youtube channel for violent jets because you guys have done some amazing uh, uh like you mentioned a little bit before some amazing commercials and stuff there's a new one up with you and uh carlin who works for the la kings and works for a bunch of us and stuff is really cool like a, a, a whole take on uh, <clears throat> on wayne's at wayne's world stuff which is amazing is there a, a place a specific channel on YouTube to watch all that stuff? Uh, we do have one. Um, I believe it's Violent Gentleman, but uh, I'm not 100% sure. So I think if you go and type us in on YouTube, Violent Gentleman, uh, we'll come up somehow. Yeah, because there's some great stuff. There's some great stuff with Andy Williams yeah. and Ryan Miller, and there's a lot of amazing, amazing video stuff you we guys can check We post a lot out. of videos at the bottom of our website, too. Yeah, yeah it's, it's <laughs> phenomenal stuff. You, you should. I think acting might be your next stuff foray here. Uh, yeah, we'll see. If you have a gig for me, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'll work on that for you. And then, uh, so uh, obviously, you've got your wife's TV show, which we mentioned, into places that they can go check that out. And you are very active on social media too. So give us all your uh, social media addresses. Uh, I'm at George Paros on Twitter and uh, George Paros on Instagram as well. And my wife's clothing line is uh, Plain Threads. And what's there? Uh, she's at T Paros, I think. And uh, website for, for her clothing company? Her website's plainthreads.com, and her Twitter handle's uh, at tperos. Cool. And is there a George Peros website? 
no. No, no. Although I think we bought, I think we bought the georgetrails.com. We just don't use it. Ah, well, see. If, if my understanding is correct, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that. I think, I mean, there was an imposter. Somebody else was running at georgetrails.com for a while. It wasn't me. And, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure where you stand on that right now. So. Right. <laughs> it's in limbo now, so just go on Twitter and, and Instagram, and you'll get all your George Peros info, all the violent gent stuff. Is there anything else we forgot here that we forgot to promote? You've got so much stuff going on. That's it, my man. I appreciate your time. Dude, thank you again so much for doing this. We greatly appreciate it. And check out all that good stuff. Follow George. He's If you ever see him anywhere, go up and say hi. Super nice guy. He won't he won't punch you, I swear. Well, I don't, he probably won't. I don't know. <laughs> it was fun. Thanks, Brian. Sure. I do. Thanks, guys. Hey, yeah, thanks a lot, George. Good luck with everything, man. And we will talk to you guys next month.